Where were we? No one can take Ayn Rand from me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Please, somebody take Ayn Rand from me. (laughs) Yeah. I can't believe you have the gall to say that. (laughs) This tangent was so deep uh, off of the topic of other countries. It's like we had the Atlas shrugged. Atlas. My shrug has come along. How many puns are found in head? (laughs) There it is. It's like every time we go out, we've had like nine mini games over the course of this episode. (laughs) Um, I think it's like a record scratch every time you know we go through. Um, Maybe I'll go back through it. Every time during the show, we go off on a mini game. We'll do the classic 80s trailer. Until one day. Like right now. (laughs) (laughs) Dial act for murder. This is Punkcast. It's a Punkcast. It's also a podcast. My name is Jersey Gwizdowski, and I'm joined by a guest who I think is going to be a real boon to this show, Ariel Boone. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Maybe my favorite homonym for my name, though, is Harry Elbowin. Harry Elbowin? <laughs> Ariel Boone. Harry Elbowin. Oh, Harry Elbowin. <laughs> Ari, I have to go back to my Hagrid voice. <laughs> Ari Elbowin. Ari, you're an elbow. You're a diction, Ari. <laughs> this is a show. It's the world's first pun podcast, and it's probably the world's worst pun podcast. And as a punner, Ariel, you are maybe one of the most interesting punners and uh, most talented punners that I know. We met through Punderdome a little over a year ago now. And did you go right into the winner's circle your first time at Ponderdome? I did. I was interviewing for a job out here in New York. Yeah. I lived very far away in California. And when I found out that my job interview would coincide with Ponderdome, uh, my best friend who lived in Park Slope at the time texted me that. And I was so excited. I was holding a fork and I couldn't do anything with it. And I was like paralyzed holding this fork, just overcome by excitement that I knew Punderdome was going to happen. I came out here. Um, I aced the job interview, prepped Casual. a day for Punderdome and uh, showed up and I got second place, beginner's luck. Um, and I made it all the way to the final round against Sam Corbin. And we had a wonderful countries of the world sudden death match duo at the end Ooh. and i won a gigantic inflatable pretzel with a, which i wore for the rest of the evening and then i returned to california and took the job moved back out to new york and started doing punterdome every month since i got back out here you came in fast and furious you have a similar story to my first time at punterdome although it was in 2012 showing up not knowing a lot about it oh i guess i think you did know a little bit about it It i had begun interviewing friends and family who had been to punterdome in new york to see what the format was like and what the vibe was like and uh that it was indeed worth going to and checking out but uh i remember going to the original you know get your coat we're leaving dot tumblr.com back when i was in california (laughs) yeah you did some recon I did some recon, and I think uh, the turning point was when people started suggesting that I go mm. and sending me articles about it and telling me I should go, and then me having to tell them, I know. <laughs> and go you did. Yeah. And won a, a mystery box your first time. 
and started competing every month and became a regular there. And we became very close friends and uh, healthy rivals. We've met in the finals many a time. At least maybe two months in a row, we met in the finals recently. Yeah, this year. And, uh, and then you came with us last year to Austin, Texas for the O. Henry punoff. That was amazing. I think before I moved out to New York, I was so starstruck by the people that I had met at Punderdome. And then when I got out here, I just relentlessly befriended everybody. And I don't know if this uh, circle of wonderful people who were close in text message and close in, uh, you know, affection and creative projects existed quite to the same level that it did before I moved out, but it seems to have really blossomed in the last year. So it was really special getting to go out to Austin and meet people and deepen those friendships and have a big crew from Brooklyn roll through. Yeah, it really was fun to be there as a group. And you're really, you're right. There's a, a, a certain group within the last year or so that has really become quite close there. And I mean, I've been going for a number of years, but I think the current crop of regular competitors are very close. And it's such an interesting, creative group of weirdos that are very fond of each other and work in different places and do different things, um, but all have the and have different styles and approaches, but all love this strange competition that we do and took our strange love for this strange competition to another older strange pun competition miles and miles away. Um, with nicer weather. With nicer weather. Well, that, it was really nice this year. The, the year before, was it that was that the rainy year or was it the oppressively hot year? They're all oppressively hot. It's Texas. It did not rain last year. It did not rain last year. So before you had these creative outlets for punning, which was one of our 10 rules for punning our teenage daughter, one of our 10 pun commandments uh, that Jordan and I came up with a few episodes ago, before you had this creative outlet, how did you get the punning out of your system? And are there other ways that you get punning out of your system? Because you're incredibly prolific and quick. And I feel like I'm often the person in the room where people will realize that I've just been trying to come up with a pun the whole time, but you do that to me. (laughs) It was something that we talked about, I think, one of the first times we met, and something that I inherited from my dad, which is when you think of a good joke to tell, you must immediately stop listening to the person you're talking to and shake in silent laughter with your mouth closed and the corners turning up in a grin um, until you have the chance to unleash your joke on the poor, unwitting recipient. The look that many people in our lives have grown to fear and loathe in conversation. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you do? How do you pun elsewhere in your life? Where do you, where do you find opportunities or how did you find opportunities? My outlets. So back before I had Punderdome, it unfortunately seeped out at work. Um, I remember one time I had a an all staff meeting at a healthcare nonprofit I was working at. Mm -hmm. And we were supposed to write about the progress of some of our colleagues. And I don't know why, but I took this as a prompt to rewrite the uh, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air opening song lyrics about one of my coworkers and perform it in front of the rest of the staff. (laughs) The choice and also perform it, I think is what above and beyond. I was in a, student senate body in college. I also rewrote some song lyrics, performed them on ukulele. I did a lot of rewriting songs for a while, but then um, I graduated to uh, making lists. And so uh, that I think was a very ineffective way to get puns out because nobody wants to just read a list 
of puns. And this was before I was exposed to punterdom as well. So when I used to make puns, it was just you come up with a phrase and right. you put it in a Tumblr post, maybe with 10 other phrases. Mm-hmm. There's no accompanying images. You will get zero reblogs. There's no reason to do this besides the fact that these things live inside you and they need to be out of you. And then th- then they're on the internet and then nobody likes them and that's the end of it. And then Punterdome introduced me to, oh, jokes needs setups and one-liners. And so I started writing those. Otherwise, but, the, the puns are demons that live inside of us that need to be exercised. Yeah, like, like gremlins. Yeah. So I, I think Twitter as an outlet is something that I use sometimes. I think there's always a little bit of self-censorship around puns on the internet. Um, I think the best thing about making pun friends, having friends, more than zero, um, since I've moved out here to New York City and mm-hmm. been doing pun stuff, is people you text with your puns who like them and text you back about it with more puns it's a punsy scheme yeah you and i have been known to engage in endless threads on various pun topics my favorite when i'll get a text from you that just says topic yeah it's like okay it's time for some pun therapy we need to we need to start immediately pun therapy is real yeah something that i tried recently was uh i was uh feeling sad Mm -hmm. and i was in my house and i was uh about to head to bed and i thought why not just make puns about depression like depression related puns yeah. and sure enough i was in a good mood within you know 10 or 15 minutes because when you you've got the wry sense of humor about something jot it down yeah it doesn't feel so bad um engaging your brain in that way can i think be really satisfying you know you get a i get a rush out of it but i think every time i tweet a pun i lose a couple followers and i try to hold back on engaging on social media on puns ah yeah. That's really the only reason I'm on social media is to get the puns out of my system. But I guess now I have a nice group of friends that I can engage with with it as well. Yeah. yeah. So we talked, you talked a little bit in the eight simple rules for punning my teenage daughter episode about etiquette for punning in polite company yes. versus punning in impolite, uh, you know, raggedy band of pun travelers company. Mm-hmm. And there are a few things that I learned when entering the New York pun scene. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I had never been on a group thread with other people where everybody was making puns before. That had never happened to me before in my life. Oh. Um, but we were on these text threads, and I realized there's etiquette about it. Some of the etiquette is read other people's puns first because you don't want to repeat them. Don't want to repeat. Yeah, that's a big one. So sometimes I'll take out my phone after an hour and there's 45 messages. And I know that I have two options. Number one is not participate because I have to go and read 45 messages and make sure I'm not repeating anybody else's puns or, you know, participate and just and just make sure. Make sure you're not doubling in doubling down on anybody's pun. Yeah, exactly. And then there's being the repeat texter. So Sending several puns in a row unanswered. I think eagerness is something that plagued me in my early. <laughs> is that bad to send a few in a row that nobody answers? I think occasionally it's permissible. That's all I do. <laughs> I'll just save them all for true. one and then I'll bump, 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 and then exit the thread. No, the best is when you, uh, you type one, you type the second. Yeah. And then you cut the second one onto your clipboard so that it doesn't look like you're typing anymore. But then you wait for the other person to reply and then you immediately paste in the pun you thought of and send it off. It's like the equivalent of standing there giggling with your mouth closed, not listening to the, 
thing the other person's saying when they see that you're message. typing well if it's a one-on-one conversation then you can see the typing but i think it, but i think but i think if there's a group text then you can't see if somebody's typing right so that then you're clear which is also kind of true in a group setting around a table or something it's it's easier to diffuse that attention whether it's a one-on-one conversation it's a real that's good etiquette for the serious punter um, has a little bit more nuance. I think something, though, that you taught me that I sort of had to get over when I was entering the New York pun scene is feeling sad when somebody else uses a pun that you had recently felt brilliant for coming up with. Oh, yeah. Even if they never heard you do it and it's out of the recesses of their own brain, there are so many options that we have in the English language and like not taking it personally, I think, is a big one. I think if you care enough about puns that you are eager to show them to someone else, you can sometimes feel hurt if they use one that you used recently or they come up with one that you've come up with. And yeah, sometimes I catch myself in the jerk move of being like, yeah, I can, I've come up with that one too, you know, but like been there. (laughs) Let's take some moment to appreciate each other's puns too. This is a fascinating idea. And I don't know if I've ever, I've thought about this a lot and I do, I don't know if I've ever said it this way, but it strikes me that what you're describing which maybe I'm so interested in it because it's apparently something I said to you at one point, which is why I find it fascinating. But um, but that uh, you don't really write a pun. You recognize a pun. You find a pun that exists. Mm. You haven't coined a word. You're identifying similarities between phonemes in words that have been there and have been latent. So you're pointing out connections that are there. You're not really creating anything besides the awareness that these things are similar. So you can't really steal a pun from somebody. The responsibility, I think, if you're writing it as a joke, as you said, you developed that ability, which you really have developed over the course of doing the competitive punning in Punderdome and in Austin, you have the responsibility to draw attention to the connection and give the context so that we're prepared to see it, like so that we'll laugh because we know what the hell you're talking about. But you can't really write a pun, can you? It's just something that exists for the world that you point out. Yeah, I think so. I think if puns can be more unusual than others. Yeah. Oh, yeah. More obscure than others. Totally. But yeah, it's more like, uh, I guess we're all just sort of columbusing our puns, basically. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, this has been very bereft of puns as a as a dialogue. This I uh, no, it's fine. We'll 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 get into some punning games a little bit later if that's okay with you. That's not what I signed up for, and I'm deeply disappointed. I actually hate to break to you, but this is that's exactly what you signed up for. <laughs> um, now, one thing I feel like we should mention before we get into any games is that a, a I think you work a little bit differently as a punner, or at least differently than I do. And I'm interested in how you strategize and what goes through your head in those moments in competition. Because the thing about that competition is it draws that part of our brain that's just kind of churning all the time and we need to get the gremlins out. It puts it under a spotlight or puts attention to it. So we're kind of aware of how we think in those moments and when it works and when it doesn't. Are gremlins afraid of light or attracted to the light? I know water's bad. (laughs) I'm not sure how light factors into the equation. True story. I only ever watched this movie at 4am on my sister's 30th birthday when she was very sad. And we were just drinking peach vodka throughout the evening. So uh, that's my only recollection. I don't know anything else about the movie Gremlins. It's, it's, it's intense. Don't feed them after midnight and don't get them wet. The, the little gremlins of, of puns that we have to get out of our minds 
are one type of it. But when you're under pressure to come up with a pun, if I say, all right, types of trees and you're on stage and somebody's singing the theme song from Friends downstage of you and you have a <laughs> and you have a dry erase marker in your hand, what goes through your mind in those moments? How do you what, how do you strategize? How do you come up with puns? First, I have a question. Are gremlins religious nuns? Are they creatures of habit? <laughs> what goes through my head while I'm on stage? <laughs> so the worst case scenario is what goes through my head on stage is I don't know anything about this category and I'm choking. This is me choking. Look, I'm choking. Watch the seconds roll by as I choke, 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 choke. Um, but best case scenario, I start to do word associations. Something else you and I have talked about is once you master the art of coming up with or the art of Columbusing, um, it's about figuring out which directions you're going to sail and how to get those word associations and your vocabulary depth greater and greater. So last year after Austin, something you and I talked about was this topic depth question. And I had printed out a list of stumble upon categories, like the top 200 stumble upon categories. And, you know, Ooh. if you can get deeply into each of those without having to Google, Google your way through some of the more obscure words and concepts, yeah. then that's the most helpful. And I, I've never been into Trivial Pursuit or any of the whatever movie games. So I've never been a studier of trivia. But I do think that being a studier of vocabulary in these topics is actually something that I've been doing through practicing, of course, huh. and then hopefully, you know, trying to do more. So for example, if you and I are texting about bones in the human body, and you don't have to Google any but we go through basically every bone in the human body and I'm Googling most of them. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to be, I want them to be off the top of my head. Could we conceivably come up with every bone in the human body without looking it up? That's tough. There's like 200, there's a lot of them. There are many. Yeah. 206. Is that right? If this conversation becomes meta terse, I'll have to leave. I saw the look. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it happen. I knew it was coming. Um, now in a minotaur, what's the mandible ratio? There's the look again. <laughs> I find it humorous. Did you make this filan? Jeez, it's good. Hi, I'd like to meet you. I'll never understand that joke. I'm as radius I'll ever be. If your puns were service, I wouldn't tib you. How many uh, hens do you have? Five? And how many cocks? Six? <laughs> Sometimes I like to annoy donkeys on purpose. You know, just for the braise. I want to hear some uh, vocal jazz. Do you think we could Patella Fitzgerald on the Victrola? I don't mean to be stern, um, but I'm not really into Ella Fitzgerald. You have a lot of skulls. <laughs> now, before we get into the punning games, again, we're not going to start yet. Um, what goes through that skull of yours when you come up with your prompts and you're putting the puns together? When I'm putting the puns together, basically... The timer goes, I hear the category, I start writing down everything I can. Yeah. I used to write it down as puns. Like as a word came to me, if I could think of a pun, I would write it down. And then uh, maybe one or two punderdomes in, I learned that that was actually not how people gained the biggest quantity of puns that they were able to rattle off. So I started just writing down all of the words that came to mind yeah. and then doing the meteor work once the uh, meteor, because it's spacey, I don't know. Um, meteor, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, There's the look again. <laughs> uh, Gotta figure out the way you want to comment the topic. This category is giving my ass trouble. <laughs> ass trouble. 
Um, I didn't know if uh, that would be a topic at which you jumped or bit. This topic is appalling. <laughs> I can't think of anything Jupiter. Uh, now, before we get to the fun <laughs> games, does this is discovering it for this category? Discovery. Do you find coming up with space puns a challenge, or is it easy for you? I see the look. That's the look you give when you wish you had the other look. Yeah. Can you hear my heart racing? That's my chew pitter patter. <laughs> I'm going to face my chair the other direction in shame. It's about the time I sat. Turn. <laughs> All right. I think we were bursting at the seams here. We have to play pun games. Should we listen to some music and fall asleep first? I'm into a nap tune. But before we do... Okay, sorry. No, no, I should great. answer your actual question. So no, This is good. Right. We're meandering. It's good. Um, and that's enough of the space puns. <laughs> so I try to... Yeah, I try to come up with these word word associations. Probably the most brilliant thing that happened my first Punterdome was I was just making... What are they called? Oronyms. Uh, is that what they're called? Ononyms. Are you about to school me with a pun term that I don't know? Oronyms. Like boric acid is the most boring kind of acid. Like you use a phoneme in a word to make a a homonym pun. Oh, to map that like onto a piece of a word? Yeah, exactly. For example, I said I had my very first punterdome. I had Beatles as a category, Beatles songs. And oh, I the s- Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles. Uh, one of the greatest puns in history. Yes. It's considered s- so uh, among some small groups of people, you know, insects. Uh, you know, a piece of broccoli won't turn your pee red, but a beetle. <laughs> That's kind of cool. It's kind of rad. Rad-ish. Wait, did we just get to vegetables from... Somehow. Yeah, so I heard Sam making these puns. So the topic was beetles. I had made some puns that I thought were pretty pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which I'll maybe talk about a little bit later if we ever talk, uh, we get to poly- polyglotting. And Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> and um, Sam came in and said, I made a joke about eating an undercooked veggie burger that day, which was accurate. I said, I called up my nurse friend who told me, took a took a picture of my poop, sent it to my nurse friend who told me, yeah, there's definitely something in the way she moves. So true story. That was a, that was a true story. And? That was actually another thing, my first Punderdome. I didn't lie at all. I told only true stories on the microphone. So it was extremely genuine. And then when people applauded them, it was very gratifying. That's um, terrific. Yeah. But it's like I should an extra have... level of difficulty that we didn't even know you were today taking on. And you got second place. That's incredible. It was really good. I had a lot of life experiences to draw on very recently to that moment to pun on, which was nice. That's good. Now they're all gone. So Sam came, Sam comes up to the microphone and Sam says, how did you get to Punderdome tonight? Well, you could take the L in or rig the B. And I just lost my shit. That's the first best pun I heard at Punderdome. It was unreal. And I had never heard anybody do that before. I had never heard anybody sound out the syllables and uh, completely reconstruct a word that way. And I heard her do it in the first round, and I was able to pick up and do more of that in future rounds as well. And so that was probably the first lesson that I learned was sound out the words. What else do they sound like? Because before that, I don't really know what my brain was doing. I have no idea, actually. But sounding out the words now is like, I mean, just basic level one, what you do. Yeah, it's it's that the thing of uh, building a skill set. Maybe I'm just thinking of this because of my teaching brain, but it's you go from unconscious incompetence where you don't know you can't do it. 
conscious incompetence, where you know you can't do it, to conscious competence, where you're aware of the fact that you're doing it, to unconscious competence, where you're doing it at second nature. So it, it starts as this thing that just occurs in your life and in your brain. And then all of a sudden, you're opening the drawers and poking around in there. And people are asking you to do it on command on a specific topic that hadn't occurred to you. Um, so you have to build a skill set. And all of a sudden, it's like examining the way that you do a thing that has come to you uh, so naturally for so long. And then getting back to the point where it's natural after you've gone in and developed the skill set to do it in competition, I think is the is the trick. Yeah. It sounds like you've done that, which is very cool. There's two other things to it. One is at Punterdome, but not at the O. Henry Punoff, mm-hmm. not limiting yourself by category. So right. for example, if the category is automobiles, you don't just have to talk about types of automobiles. You can go with car brands mm-hmm. and uh, other sorts of more like associational subcategories or expanded categories or tangential categories that can help you get through those two minutes. So if you're really feeling choked on a topic, there are ways out of it. And I think um, an example of this was boys' names came up recently. And I'm sitting there. It came up a couple months in a row, which was maybe not preferable. I'm sitting there thinking, uh, these are very boring, and I don't like any of my puns, but I've written a bunch of boys' names, and fine. And gender is a construct, and this is stupid. And then Isaac Klein gets up there, and he does, like, famous people's names with the same category. And I thought immediately, like, oh, that's a brilliant way to relate to your audience. Famous people's names are so much more fun to pun on. There's so much more uh, diversity in who you can highlight and how you want people to feel when they hear a pun yeah. and the way that audiences really get to enjoy that more, more than just like, oh, I know somebody named George. What a great pun about the name George. Like, you know, you can. Right. It, there's so many names out there also. You have to find a limiting factor that A, helps the audience focus in on something and then B, can help you focus on it. So I I, I was in that round as well. And I remember thinking of like cultures and countries. I spent time in Norway. So I started thinking of Norwegian names. I spent time. Attic. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's also like every name ever, you know, sort of when you get the category of food and all you can think of is spaghetti, there's the getting the audience to go along with you and setting a context for the audience, which Isaac did really well. And if you're doing cars, you know, you can get away with things that are quote unquote off topic in a way that you can't in Austin, as long as the audience goes on that road trip with you. If you start doing highways or things in a car or famous cars, if you do Knight Rider and the car from the Dukes of Hazard and Herbie the Love Bug or something, if you, fa- if you, as long as you set it up and the audience is with you, you can do it. The only way you can really go off topic in Punderdome is if they're, if the crowd turns on you and it's like, that wasn't the rule. Get out of town. You know, did you have another thing on that about what goes through your head when I think you said there's like, there's two other things. One was finding your subtopic. Oh yeah. If you are choking, somebody described this to me once. You probably did actually. Maybe. Um, I do like talking about this stuff. Imagine you're in a store of the category and that you're walking through it and you're looking at the aisles, what's on the shelves. So bathroom is the category. If you're going to a bathroom store, what's, what are you seeing to create a mind palace yeah. for yourself? Um, so you might've heard it on the show. I think it's in the first episode of this podcast. And I, that's a tip I got from Dave Wallace. I think that's probably right. Who, <laughs> I, who I went up against in the pun office here in the final round. And that's also a technique for, uh, Memory Memorization techniques, memory contests, and all that kind of stuff. That's the next step for me. So I think first step is learning how to pun. Second step is deep topic recall, deep like a pit, into the bottom of a planet, magma. 
Third step is memory recall so that once you have the 30 words that you've come up with, you are able to walk through your mind palace to remember what they are. And you can probably minimize the esprit d'escalier that comes up. The I love the esprit d'escalier, aka the jerk store called and they're all out of you. That's a great, that's a great point. Um, if you're feeling, yeah. And the, your subcategory and if you feel like you're choking are kind of linked, you know, if you can find a, a rich gold vein to exploit. Yeah, absolutely. A lane. I have never been to a theme park, but I uh, kicked ass in a theme park category recently because, you know, you use word associations or things that you've seen in movies and TV shows. Yeah. Or Sam recently had U.S. presidents and went on to do sort of another type of global leadership and geographic pun category and own Sam's Canadian. Right. <laughs> it's true. Speaking of other nations, you are a multilingual person. You speak other languages. I am. Yes. Uh, most Jewish parents would have chosen to send their kids to Hebrew school, but uh, my singular Jewish parent decided to send me to Chinese school. Um, I am white. Uh, I grew up in a predominantly Asian American community in California. And so my parents made that choice, believing China is going to be the next world hegemon and also that all of their friends and their friends' kids were also in Chinese school every week. And so it would be a good way for me to socialize. So I grew up doing Chinese dance performances, going to Chinese school on Friday nights with my best friends. And my dad coached the Chinese school basketball team for 10 years of my childhood. Wow. So I learned these other languages when I was a kid. I got put into Chinese school when I was six uh, for 10 years. And then I eventually studied in college and I uh, lived there for a hot minute um, in mainland China. And I also studied French for about 10 years mm-hmm. as a kid. And then I recently started studying Spanish because it's way more useful in my day-to-day uh, here in New York and working in journalism sure. and uh, working in a bilingual office. Right. Now, do you find yourself punning across different languages at times? I imagine as a multilingual person, you polyglot a lot to say about this. The first bilingual pun that I used uh, in New York was that first Punderdome that I did where the category was Beatles. And I said, my favorite Beatle, unfortunately, was killed. John Lennon. And what's so sad about that is his death is what made Yoko Uno. To which Spanish speakers replied to me when I told them the pun, like, that is absolutely not the appropriate application of the word Uno. And I think that we can make jokes across languages because we're borrowing words, but it's another, it's another form of colonizing language, basically, to borrow words from other languages. I also think that, yeah, so I think there's a delicacy with yeah. which you can borrow words from other languages and that there should be some self-awareness about it. And you figure out which words those are that you're borrowing, that they're not indigenous words, that they don't fit into a joke that reinforces stereotypes or laughs at the sound of somebody's name or otherwise otherizes somebody or makes them seem less than or makes somebody a punchline who should not be a punchline. I mean, like journalism in comedy, punch up, not down. Yeah. And The English language is uh, the hegemon. It is the dominant language in uh, capitalism, in business transactions, 
we have the privilege of using uh, words from other languages as we say, see fit or not. So mm-hmm. I think that there's a good amount of power in there and we can choose um, whether, like we can choose what we what we do with it. And then I think you and Jordan touched on this in the Eight Simple Rules episode, but uh, the do no harm. Yeah. It's something that my pun partner Tracy and I talk about, but we call it uh, puns for good and not evil. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you talk about that because- I don't want to say there's a line because it's delicate and it's a a gray area. And so much of the language that we are both currently speaking is influenced by colonialism and appropriation and all of that stuff. And also is beautifully composed of Celtic and Old English and ancient languages and French and all the Germanic languages and all this stuff. So the deeper you get into puns, as we did with the great puns in history that I used to do and will again do uh, on the show, the deeper you get into etymology, the more you find, A, how many uh, etymological origins are disputed and or apocryphal and or unprovable, and how many puns aren't actually puns if you get down to the root of the word that you realize you're actually just acknowledging your Christopher Columbusing. <laughs> Uh, the fact that um, these two words actually have share the same etymological root, but the celebration of that is very exciting and is part of the origin of or part of the ongoing shaping of our language, but can be used to other somebody or to make fun of something that sounds different to us and therefore, ha ha, how funny because these sounds sound like something I'm on I, uh, that I don't recognize in uh, my life as an English speaker. Do you find yourself shying away, therefore, from puns that are bilingual or trilingual? It's normally not the first thing that comes to mind for me to do. And if it does come to mind, yeah, you take the extra step of, is this good and not evil? Am I applying this word in a context that's appropriate and also funny and clever, not just any pun, but a, a good pun? Is it relevant that it's in another language? Is that important to the joke somehow? And I think it's also a beautiful thing, though, to share with other people in languages as you're learning them. So learning puns in Spanish as I began to learn Spanish was actually really important to me as well. And mm-hmm. um, you can imagine um, in Chinese, there are many puns and wordplay also because with a tonal language where a single sound pronounced four different ways could mean more than four different things, you have almost limitless ability to uh, to do wordplay or to be misconstrued. I can only imagine punning in Chinese. You're playing 3D chess. Yeah. You're adding a complete new dimension to the practice. And apparently punning in China is very effective to the point that the government outlawed punning a couple of years ago because it was being used for subversive political purposes. And add to that the visual aspect of etymology in Chinese, where you can see the origin of pictorial characters, um, and you know how that how that evolved. I used to have these little flip books of uh, Chinese radicals. Radicals are what you call the uh, subparts of traditional Chinese characters, mm-hmm. and uh, you would use the flip books like a moving picture book to figure out, you know, how a barn became these particular strokes, or how a the character for fire is written and why why it looks the way it does. So you have a visual aspect, but then you also have the spoken spoken word aspect of sort of multiple meanings. Do you find that your study of and practice in other languages changes the way you think about English and think about punning in English? It must. I 
do think that studying another language like French growing up was great because it's so close to English that when you start to recognize words in another language that's close to English, like French or like Spanish, you are recognizing more word roots and more Latin words as well. And so it sort of, it takes your understanding of words to maybe a meta level where you're thinking about those stems more. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think the the biggest thing that it's helped with is sort of like cross-cultural, you know, cross-cultural relationship building. Like, you know, if you're really into puns and you travel to another country and you are new to the language there or you make friends with people who speak some English, maybe they want to work on their English and you want to work on your uh, your grasp of uh, the language and the place that you're living. If those people are passionate about puns, the friendship goes a lot further. And I think, yeah, that was like one of the one of the most fun filled few months of my life was uh, living in China and meeting this amazing woman there who was super into me, but also super into learning English puns. Uh-huh. And she had uh, gone to college in New Zealand. And so her grasp of English and of uh, college level English was uh, phenomenal and phone, phone, <laughs> and, uh, And so punning with her was really fun because you get to teach somebody else. So instead of explaining the joke to somebody who uh, is a native English speaker who maybe didn't get it the first time because your joke wasn't funny enough, you're explaining it to somebody who genuinely is experiencing the joy and discovery of a new language. Oh, vocabulary through puns. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. That's very cool. So would you be interested in playing a pun game using multiple languages? I think so. (laughs) Let's give it a shot. This is a planned pun game, a somewhat planned pun game, unlike the myriad unplanned pun games that we've had over the course of this episode already. Unplanned pregnant pauses. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So what if we do some like a evergreen pun topic like fruits and vegetables? I'm pretending like we're coming up with this for the first time. And uh, we'll do it. I've never done this category before. Have you really never? No. Yeah, so many times, right? Um, (laughs) Literally against you in the finals. (laughs) Oh, that's right. But in English. So we're going to do, and and Jordan had given me a challenge on this show previously to do uh, 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 fruits in French specifically. Mm. Um, So I might be replicating some of those from an earlier pun challenge from a year or so ago. But uh, I think it'd be fun to look at languages other than English, words for fruits and vegetables, and see what we can come up with in a game that, well, we're not brothers, but I guess we should, so then I guess we should call it Oh Pun Says We. Oh Pun Says We. Yeah. Do you want to do an intro with me? Okay. Have you done this before? Uh, I've heard it. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do, we're going to play a game called. Oh Pun. What? We'll, each, we'll alternate syllables. Oh, do you okay. Start? Do you no, start? I get it. Oh. Pun. Says We. we. <laughs> Nailed it. Oh Pun. What? We'll each, we'll alternate syllables. Oh, do you okay. Start? No, I get it. Oh. Pun. Says We. <laughs> Nailed it. Fruits and vegetables in foreign languages. This seems like a series category. You really know how to phrase your puns quite well. Oh, my poire ears. You do like to poivron quite thick, don't you? Do you want to just leave? Shoo! (laughs) At the end of this uh, round of French where we're starting, I think I will be crowned the champignon. To get into Spanish for a minute, I stay. He go. The way, speaking of Spanish, after I eat a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables in Spanish, the way I like to keep my breath fresh 
Espinaca. Espinaca. <laughs> this has been a good pun run, huh? Naranja. <laughs> One of my favorite things you do also is repeat the thing right after. It's so good. It's from too many years. It's from too many years, uh, like listening to language tapes where they're like, I went to school. School. <laughs> Wait, you have to explain what you just said to me because this, I can't believe we haven't mentioned this yet. Okay. Okay, stop the game. Okay, so we stopped our conversation to have the game. Now we're going to record scratch. So you did a hand gesture to me to indicate that you weren't setting me up for a pun, which is something we've had to develop in our friendship so that we knew when somebody was being genuine and actually having a point rather than just setting us up for a pun, which is sort of doing like... Uh, loving spirit fingers. Loving spirit fingers, yeah. Uh, shimmying our hands uh, as, a, as an indication. There is, is an accompanying emoji to this hand gesture. As yes. We do the... Well, now there's actually the emoji with the face with the hands next to it. I realized we could do that one too. That's eh, a little cutesy. Um, that's fair. But the two hands, yeah, have been... A big part of our text exchanges. <laughs> <laughs> Two hands are often required for text exchanges. <laughs> I uh, I dictate now. Was that a pun? No, that wasn't a pun. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, I did do the gesture. Okay. Okay, back to the game. I bring my allergy pen with me wherever I go. I'm an épinard. <laughs> back in uh, French? Yeah. I thought I'd take a pêche out of your book. Hey, give me a high five. Right on my palm. <laughs> Oh no, you you tore my palm. That's not your palm to tear. Did we do that? Next already? time I won't accept your high five. It'll be a palm deterred. Ah na na na. That's not true. Ah na na na. I can't think of another one. Oh crap. Crap? Crap de raisin. Ooh, crap de raisin. Do you have any puns on the word for cherry in Polish? No, do you? <laughs> Uh, boy, I'm really Visnia did. Oh. But you don't. I'm Marhevka, make all of these Polish puns myself. I'm really into ursine animals. I wish I could blow a bear. Uh, that's blueberry and it's in Norwegian. <laughs> I don't have any Norwegian. If you're fighting back against one, you would claw the bear. Cloudberries, I think. My Norwegian cousin who follows Pundernome on Facebook is going to murder me for this. There's another similar, um, isn't uh, orange in Norwegian? Eppel? Oh, is it? There's some, it sounds like the opposite thing in English. In English speaking Cameroon, avocados are pears. Like two at a time? You call, <laughs> no, you're like, would you like to eat this pear? Millennials are buying too many pears in Cameroon and they can't afford houses. Like, it's an avocado. It's called a pear. Pear toast. <laughs> And the etymology of avocado, I almost did a great pun in history on it, but the uh, Aztec word for testicle is the word for avocado. This actually reminds me. So in Chinese, there are these phrases I was thinking about where sometimes uh, you can't pun on certain words in other languages because they're actually ripped from English. So for example, in Chinese, shafa is sofa, cafe, coffee. Yeah. Boakali is Berkeley. Aukalan is Oakland. It's also Auckland. So dating a girl from New Zealand, a little challenging when you're from Oakland and she just went to college in Auckland. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. <laughs> but there are these great words, uh, or manguo, mango. Sure. In Chinese, where you look at the syllables that they've borrowed from English in some cases, and then it's not a pun. I don't know what you would call it. I mean, it sounds like a 
a language from a culture that has touched and has been influenced by other many other cultures and languages in the world has taken some pieces of its language from other languages. Totally. Just like English has, but mapped it onto their grammar. And assigned it a character. Assigned right? it a character. Yeah. You, I think you have a lot more of these than I do. Do you, do you like the shirt I picked out today? I decided to wear it. I decided to wear it over jeans. This man's on a roll. Manzana. <laughs> I don't ever want to have grandkids. I don't want to be a nana. That's much better than mine. What do you think? Do you think someday you'll be a papa? All right. And that's how you play. <laughs> oh. Fun. Says. Wee. That was a good one. <laughs> was oh. it? Yeah, I think so. I think it was an experimental one, but it was a lot of fun. Okay. I just remembered a meme I need to show you on the internet. I just remembered a meme I need to show you later. Thank you. It's not even a meme. Show me this meme again. This happened today. This isn't a meme. This is news of the day. I know it's not a meme. It's a screenshot of a real piece of news. Don't waste another minute on your podcast. Okay. Let them them party. I know. I just love that this exists. I don't think it's the image makeover pigeons needed, though. Did they? Well, that's why they're bobbing their heads all the time. Um, do you want to, do you want to just, okay. So Ariel just showed me a thing from the internet. That was a pigeon with a backpack full of ecstasy pills that the NYPD found. Was it the NYPD? I'm assuming it was New York because it's pigeons and ecstasy. As with all great shareable images on the internet, there was no context and it's, uh, not tied to a news story that I have digested and understand. You know, the reason there's probably not a good news story because there's not a great Headline. Headlines. What would you headline the story about that pigeon? MTA for MDMA. Molly want a cracker? Flying high. We both have the look in our eye. <laughs> <laughs> An adult pigeon won't argue with the NYPD over ecstasy found in their backpack, but a squabble. <laughs> That's the headline. Pills buried. Go, boy. Pigeon gives brave reviews. Cops rant, pigeon raves. Party of Flive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Foul play. For their trial, they'll have the burden of proof. Uh, all the coup kids are doing it. They were just pigeon in to help. Pigeon flies right into the governor's balls. Something about a pigeon and a mule. Oh, I was on a roll. You're on a roll? <laughs> oh, pigeons make honor roll? 40 capsules and a mule? Getting ready for Birding Man? Slangin' with Mr. Cooper? <laughs> I know why the uncaged bird dosings? <laughs> oh my, oh my. Uh. That's good. Okay. Good mini game. So many mini games. We'll see if this makes it into the cut. Um, that's what the drug dealer said. So, Ariel, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Thank you for elucidating for us the punning life of a polyglot. Thank you for having me. Would, would you come back and play with us again? Definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much for uh, your support of Second Season. Thank you to Ariel. Thank you to Reserve for Rondi for our theme song, Circus 68. Uh, all the internal uh, music in the show and all of our shows comes from bensound.com. 
If you like the show, tell your friends, give us reviews on iTunes, all that good stuff. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all those nice places. Punk asked, punk underscore asked for the places without spaces. And uh, I've been Jersey. And I'm Ariel. <laughs> Until next time, this has been Punk Asked. A puncast. A podcast. Bye.